It's good to be with you, and we appreciate those who have tuned in today for this service of worship. And as we prepare for this Passion Week, that we trust that this time together will prepare you for this week as we remember the death, crucifixion, and of course, a week from today, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ this Easter. During these past weeks, Mark Carey has been leading us through the book of Romans and Dennis last week as both of them have spoken about the justification that believers have, meaning that we've been declared righteous the moment we believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And the Apostle Paul, as both Dennis and Mark have referred to, make reference to Abraham. And it was Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Today, I would like to pick up this subject of Abraham himself, and we'll be departing from Romans this week and moving into another book, the book of Hebrews, but continuing the theme of faith, but this time, not faith that justifies, but once a person that has believed, they have been justified. They now enter into a walk of faith day by day. The book of Romans, of course, is going to teach us much about what that includes in the Christian life and in the Christian journey. Bow with me, if you would, for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to meet. Even though it's not meeting in the way that we would prefer, we're grateful that we do have the opportunity to connect in this way. And Father, I pray as we look into your word that your promises will give hope. Your promises will give stability in uncertain times because we truly do go to you who is the one of control of all things and your son, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John Eldridge, in his book called All Things New, says this, In an untethered world, we need a hope that can anchor us. Hope is unique. Hope looks forward, anticipating the good that is coming. Hope reaches into the future to take hold of something we do not yet have, may not yet even see. Strong hope seizes the future that is not yet. It is the confident expectation of goodness coming to us. It might be helpful to pause and ask yourself, how is my hope these days? Where is my hope these days? Optimism is not going to cut it. Trying to look on the bright side isn't going to sustain us through days like we are living in. Given how critical hope is to our lives, the most urgent question has to be, where is the hope that can overcome all the heartache? Of this world. He wrote those words in 2017 and how appropriate they are in the spring of 2020. Today we want to look at that very subject of looking ahead to the future. And my attention, or our attention, I would say, I'd like us to focus in Hebrews chapter 11. As Abraham has made reference to in the book of Romans, he is also referenced in the book of James, and he's also referenced in the book of Hebrews. And it's in that passage that I would like us to turn today 
Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Let me read it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. If you remember last week's message, Dennis spoke about faith in a promise. That's what faith is, is it's a confidence in something that we yet don't see, but a promise that has been given. The promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ is a faith that justifies. But there are additional promises that God has called us to believe. And those things are in the scriptures for us to anchor ourselves into hope. Because we have promises of a very bright future. And Abraham's story serves as an example As we move into this particular passage of just three verses, I'd like to make basically three observations about Abraham. First of all, we find in verse 8, it says that he went out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and when he went out, not knowing where he was going. Abraham dwelt in Ur. It was on the plain of Mesopotamia. He was called by God, to another land, the land of Canaan. But Abraham didn't go in faith. It wasn't a land that he had gone before. It certainly wasn't the vacation spot of the world. He lived in Ur, a city that was founded in 3800 BC. It was the urban center of the ancient Near East. Archaeological evidence proves that there were luxury items that people enjoyed in the city. It was on the port of the Persian Gulf, and the findings of precious metals by archaeologists give evidence of the fact that there was foreign trade that was taking place. It was a prosperous city. Even cuneiform texts reveal that they had a very complex legal and economic system. Ur was no backwoods little village. Ur was a prosperous city, a prominent city. And may I say, it would have been a comfortable city. And this is where Abraham was living when God calls him. And God removed him from the familiar to the unfamiliar. As Abraham in faith packs up and moves to Canaan, the text tells us he goes to a place that he had not gone before, a place that he did not know where he was going. God removed him from the familiar to the unfamiliar. But also God removed him from his comforts to tents. Look at the next verse. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He went from likely ease and comfort into living a nomadic life, living in tents, sacrificing the comforts of his day and the 
leading city, or at least one of the leading cities of the ancient Near East. God removed him from his comforts to live in tents. But God did something else else through this whole process. Not only did he remove Abraham from the familiar to the unfamiliar, and not only did he move Abraham from the comfortable to the more uncomfortable, and that is tense, he moved him from a present focus to an eternal focus. In verse 10 it says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Without doubt, this is in reference to the new Jerusalem that Greg just read about as he led us in communion. The new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven, which we will look at in a little bit more detail in a few moments. But it was a focus on the future, on promise of a city that he could not yet see, that causes him to leave the familiar to the unfamiliar, to leave the comfortable, to move into dwelling in tents. Because his eyes were focused on a city, a city of the future, a city he could not yet see, but a city that he believed in because he believed the promise of God. A city whose foundation is from God, whose maker is God. As we look at Abraham's journey, we move into our own. Zane Hodges, a professor of New Testament Greek and exegesis for 28 years at Dallas Seminary, wrote these words on this passage, that the reader should look forward to the world to come and treat their present experience as a pilgrimage is a lesson enforced by the life of Abraham. This great patriarch lived like a stranger in a land he would later receive as his inheritance. So also would the readers inherit if they, like this forefather, kept looking forward to the city with foundations, a reference to the heavenly and eternal Jerusalem. As Abraham was called on a journey of faith, We know from the New Testament writers that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are too. And friends, there are no two journeys exactly alike. None of us face exactly the same time frame of events in life, the same circumstances. We don't all face the same trials or difficulties or joys and celebrations. The journey of our Christian life varies from one to another, but there are promises that apply to us all. God is growing us. In our sufferings, he's growing us. Even in our battles, as we realize our total dependency upon the enablement of God through his spirit and through his word and through the promises that he gives us, are we able to live the Christian life victorious? And even Romans is teaching us that as we've been justified by faith, we are then sanctified or grow in faith 
with the goal, goal ultimately, as outlined in chapter 8, to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ if we suffer for his name. But how do we live a Christian life victorious? How do we overcome the battles within us, the sufferings that we encounter? It's by faith. And it involves focusing upon a city whose builder and maker is God. You see, as with Abraham, God sometimes removes us from the familiar to the unfamiliar. He takes us from what we know and calls us to what we don't know. I know this is minor in comparison to many, but I couldn't help but think of our experience 16 years ago when Patty and I and our son Brad moved from North Dakota here to Virginia. This passage actually was a passage that came to my mind often. You see, it was a little tough for me to move. We had ministered there in North Dakota in the western part of the state for nine years. It's desolate. I like that. Lots of cowboys. I like that. What I really liked was a 20-acre trout lake that very few people ever visited except me. I like that. And I caught many trout from that lake. I hunted pheasants and just enjoyed the beauty of the outdoors. And our little church, we loved them and they loved us. And when the phone call came from Mark Carey to come and join the staff here at Fellowship Bible Church, it was a great opportunity, and I knew that. And even the people of our small church in North Dakota said, we don't think you should pass this up. We hate to see you leave, but we hate to see you pass it up. The East Coast, if I can be so honest, was somewhat intimidating to me. There's crowds out there. There's big cities out there. There's all kinds of things that are a little bit threatening to me. Can't I just stay here with my trout lake and pheasants and continue to raise my family here? But I knew without any doubt that God was calling us to Winchester, Virginia. He was moving me from what was familiar. He was moving me from what was comfortable. And he was taking us to the unfamiliar. This passage came to my mind often as driving that U-Haul truck halfway across this country. And God often removes us from the comfortable to the, to the uncomfortable. All of us right now are experiencing together something that's not comfortable. Isolation, quarantine is getting old. We miss people. Some people around this world, as Scott McManigal made mention earlier in this service, are suffering in much, much greater ways. They're going as a part of their journey. But as Scott also shared, it's part of the journey that God has called us to. And as the church of Jesus Christ, believers in Jesus Christ around the world, it's part of the journey that he has brought us to, to be lights for him that we can be avenues of his lights to a dark world that is coming to a greater recognition each day of our total inability to solve our problems. We can't find leaders who give solid answers because they don't have solid answers. 
there's optimistic thinking across our television screens, but it's empty because it doesn't contain substance. The substance of something that is truly hopeful. The substance that has meat to it is found only in the Word of God. That we have a God who is in control. We have a God who is taking believers on a journey. We have a God who continues to accept new people into his family as they hear about Jesus Christ. And we have a God who is bringing the culmination of earth's events eventually to a close, whether it's going to be soon or hundreds of years away, we do not know. But it's a hope that we have that's solid because we know what the end is as he has communicated it very clearly in his word. In a practical level, in people's individual journeys, God takes them from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. They take them from a happy married life now to living alone. Their sweetheart has gone before them to the Lord. Some are going into the uncomfortable aspect of reduced income or loss of jobs. For others, God has called them into what is not real easy for them, and that is to make contact with other people, maybe next-door neighbors, because they feel that tug in their heart from God that these people need to know Jesus Christ and to get out of the comfort zone of our own little world, but to move in to a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Others are called to suffer in various ways. God has designed that he would be using trials in their lives in special ways. He has moved them from the comfortable life of health to now sickness, difficulty, or unemployment. I know that some of my own colleagues who would not want me to mention their names, so I won't, but I know that they believed God enough to to join our staff here even at church at significant cost. But they did so because they have a long-range perspective. They have a focus on eternal things. And to give up the temporal for the eternal, they considered it not to be a great cost at all because they were looking to a city whose builder and maker is God. My friends, God is preparing all of us and shaping us for a kingdom yet to come. As the palm leaves were spread out before our Savior, they were doing so, anticipating him to bring in a kingdom. But due to the rejection of Israel, this kingdom now has been postponed, but it's still coming. And it's a kingdom that we can place our hope on. A future of a thousand years of the reign of Christ here on this earth. And then the eventual new heavens and new earth with the new Jerusalem itself coming down out of heaven. And the journey now is a time in which God is using all of these things to bring many people to himself, but also to prepare his children that they may have a greater experience of the kingdom to come that he can enhance their kingdom experience. Because as Paul says in Romans 8, we are heirs of God.
but we are co-heirs with Christ if we suffer for his name. The journey of Abraham certainly is applicable to the journey of each of us. He has moved us from the uncomfortable or from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. And he has moved us and is moving us to an eternal focus. My friends, this book, the Bible, is filled with promises about those matters pertaining to eternity and to the future, even on this earth. We have a couple of young men in our church who are taking the mentorship program and They've done some reading on the subject of eschatology. That's the doctrine of last things. And I asked them just this past week, where are your thoughts on the subject? What do you believe? Where are you at in your journey of studying these things about prophecy in the future? And they said this. Both of them said this. They said, well, one thing for sure is recognizing just the sheer amount of material in the Bible about the subject warrants our attention and God must want us to know it. Did you know that one-fourth of the Bible are prophecies about the future? Not just that we can become knowledgeable and fascinated by these things, but knowing the specifics, knowing the details, knowing the beauty of what's going to take place, knowing of the hardships that this world is going to experience. Just knowing these things produces hope. It's something we can wrap our eyes around, our arms around. It's something that we can grab onto. And ultimately, the new earth with the new Jerusalem, a city whose builder and maker is God. It's important for us to examine these things because in doing so, it cut ties with the now. It, um, it cuts our love affair that we can easily fall into with the here and now and the things that we can see and sacrificing the things that we don't yet see. Moses, in a few verses later of this verse, or these verses, he says, the writer says, Moses was willing to put up with the hardships of being associated with God's people, the Israelites. It says, for he looked to the reward. And then Jesus, who on the cross, it says, he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And as you study the book of Hebrews, the writer clearly outlines that the joy set before Christ was the inheritance of the nation's If he would complete his assignment from God, he would be granted kingship. And on this Palm Sunday, we look forward to the reality of his kingship when he comes back again. And that becomes our focus for people of faith. But God also provides his presence and his promises. Eldridge, in his book, made an interesting observation. As we read through Abraham's life in the Old Testament, we see that he was not lily white. He stumbled, willing to sell out his own wife, 
he was not a man of perfection by any means. He also engaged with Hagar, which produced Ishmael outside of God's will. Abraham stumbled, but we should not be discouraged by that. In fact, we can understand the book of James that tells us in the New Testament, we all stumble in many ways. And Eldridge makes the observation that not once do any of the New Testament writers in making reference to Abraham, do they recall the times that he stumbled. Rather, we see the times in which he believed and are set forth for us as an example. We can all take encouragement from that because we all stumble. But as the book of Romans says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And God, by His grace, picks us up where we're at, and He continues on with the journey and developing us and shaping us and molding us. We can cling to His promises, and we know that He's present. I find it so encouraging that two terms that are referred to are mentioned in the book of Hebrews referring to Jesus Christ is that he is our great shepherd. And in chapter 2, he is called our captain. He's the one that guides us through stormy seas. He's present. He's with us. He's been through everything that we go through, yet he did so without sin, but he comes to our aid and he picks us up where we have fallen. And he continues to be with us and to carry us and to enable us to finish the journey of faith that God has called us to. And he's a shepherd. He cares. He provides. He knows our situations. He knows the needs. He hasn't forgotten. And on this journey of faith, we can take comfort that he's the great shepherd of the sheep to each one of us individually. During these difficult times, we also have opportunity to be able to be used by God in the lives of others. As Scott outlined in some of the needs of our international leaders, but even locally, we have the opportunities that God has given us to be generous, to share the love of Christ by assisting other people in whatever ways that He has given us those opportunities. He provides His presence. He provides His promises. He provides His grace. And he provides us opportunities. Right now, we're in our tents. We kind of got a little cabin fever this week. And before um, we went too stir crazy, I said, Patty, let's just go out for a ride. Virginia is in all of her glory right now in the springtime. So we got in the car, we went to an area in Frederick County that we actually had not been to, even though we've lived here almost 16 years. And we saw some incredibly beautiful houses, uh, large, large yards, lanes that were, that were uh, boundaried in by uh, Bradford pear trees that were in full bloom. And the red buds are starting to come out and the crab apple trees and just very glorious. But folks, I want to remind us that there is a city in the future that even Virginia in the springtime 
in the wealthiest sections of our community pale in comparison. It's a city whose builder and maker is God. I've been to Jerusalem 10 times. And frankly, I enjoy the time up in Galilee much more. Jerusalem is a busy city. I certainly wouldn't think and say that it's a clean city. It's a noisy city. But the Jerusalem that is to come is much, much different. I thought I would read today about the new Jerusalem. Greg had already read the first verses about no more pain and sorrow and tears. And let me pick it up as I read the description. And I'd like to ask you, whether in your living room or family room or wherever you happen to be, to just pause, maybe close your eyes, and just listen. And try to imagine the city that we have before us. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride of the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, which is about 1,500 miles. Its length and its breadth and its height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubics, according to the measure of a man, that, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was of pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, 
and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall no, be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you have believed God's promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ alone, you have been justified, you have been declared righteous by God, and your name was written in that book. That can never change. And as we move in the journey of this life, may we look to a city. May that future city bring hope, bring endurance, grabbing on to the promise, a city whose builder and maker is God. That's how Abraham was to leave his comfort zone. And as we have moved out of our comfort zone, not only with the virus, but in other ways, we are a people that are called to walk in faith and look to a city. You know, Jesus, the night before he was crucified, and as we remember that, particularly this Thursday night, as he met with his disciples for the Last Supper, the night before he was going to experience almost indescribable physical pain, let alone the spiritual pain of bearing the sins of mankind. This is what Jesus says to his own disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. Because in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The night before going through his own crucifixion, Jesus was looking to a city whose builder and maker is God. And he was leading his disciples to look to a city whose builder and maker is God, to look to a city as they were about to encounter not only the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but then move on into the next years of spreading the gospel worldwide and suffering in light of it. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, our present sufferings do not compare with the glory that will be revealed. His kingdom is coming. It will have a city that's worth living for. A promise to hold on to, especially during trying and difficult days. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity it is ours to look into your word, especially in these days where the world feels things are so uncertain and they appear to be so. 
But we are certain of your control of all things. We are certain of the good things that you are accomplishing through difficult times. And we are certain of your promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we are certain of a city to come that we will live in forever and experience the promised quarters and dwellings that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.